of Luke. If you remember correctly, last week when we started our study in Luke 18, we kind of wanted to, time willing, do as much as we can because all these little stories hook together and go together so nicely. And when we break it up, it feels like we're missing the flow. But time just doesn't allow us to do that. So we're going to do another little section of this today, Lord willing, time willing. We're going to do verses 15 through 30, 15 through 30 of Luke 18. And if you're one of those that likes to plan ahead, we're also going to be going to Matthew 18. And we're also going to be going to Mark 10, Matthew 18 and Mark 10 along the way. Hey, just want to remind everybody of a couple things here too. A big week going on. I know uh, Rich mentioned it, excuse me, Renee mentioned it during announcements. Uh, we have a group that left this morning to go down on a short-term missions trip uh, for Johnny and Friends. And they're going to be doing Facebook updates throughout the week. If you look in your bulletin, at the bottom of that, there's some information. So if you want to get online and look at that, keep them in prayer. They're doing a short-term missions trip. And also then tomorrow, youth taking off for church camp, keep them in prayer as well. A big thanks to everybody who helped with the garage sale giveaway. What a wonderful blessing it was. A lot of people put a lot of time, energy, and effort into that, and we appreciate that greatly. Great ministry and opportunity there for the Lord. So a lot of neat things going on, and as always, check the bulletin, check the bulletin board, check the website. So with that being said, Luke 18, let's do the smart thing, and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd go before this. As always, you teach, we listen, let your spirit guide and direct in all ways and all things. Thank you for the time to be here, Lord, and we lift this up in your name. Amen. Let's jump right into this. Luke 18, verse 15, it says, Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them, but when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. As surely I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Can't you just put yourself in this position? Here's Jesus. And Jesus just had something about him. You'd want to be around him. You'd want to be near him. So here's Jesus, and here's these moms with their babies, with their infants, just wanting to get close to Christ and to have that contact with him. That word touch means something close, to get near Jesus, to have Jesus just bless their child, etc. And so as these moms with babies coming near, you almost see these disciples forming a wall around Jesus. If anybody knows anything, the greatest threat is moms with babies. Those are dangerous people. And so the disciples have to protect Jesus from moms with babies. And that's exactly what they do. They actually rebuke the moms and the babies. In fact, one translation says something to the effect of, you're bothering Jesus. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is not bothered by moms and babies by any way whatsoever. In fact, Jesus wanted them to come. Verse 16, let the little children come to me. Let them come to me. And as they come to him, he wants to bless them. And he uses this as a teaching point to the disciples, saying, this is what the kingdom of God is supposed to be about. This neat picture there. Now, I think there's a couple things that come across with this. First thing, this idea of bothering Jesus. It's kind of funny. When you first get saved, or at least when I first got saved, I I wanted to take everything to the Lord. There was this close, personal relationship. Anything that bothered me, anything that concerned me, I just wanted to stop and give it over to the Lord in all ways and all things. I just wanted that. I desired that. Then as you get longer in your walk with the Lord, you start realizing you can take care of things on your own. And you get this little independent flair away from the Lord. And instead of being fully relying on Him for everything, you become, if you will, a spiritual teenager, then a spiritual adult, And then you just spiritually take care of stuff on your own. And you only go to Jesus for the big things. 
boy, that is not what this is saying in any way whatsoever. He says we're supposed to be like the children, let the little children come to me. That's the example we're supposed to be. Think about that. For those that have had children before with babies, they have one form of communication, and that one form of communication is crying. That's all they can do. They cry when they're hungry. They cry when they need something. They just constantly cry. And when they cry, what does the mom do? The mom jumps into action, goes and takes care of the problem, and helps out. Spiritually speaking, that's the way it's supposed to be for us with Christ. If I need something, I just cry. And I just cry out, and the Lord answers. He's the loving Father that comes in and scoops me up and takes care of me. Now, that's a neat picture, but the problem is when we look at it from that perspective, well, let's just be a little honest. That sounds very babyish. I have a problem. I cry. God answers. He helps me. That doesn't sound manly. Doesn't sound manly in any way whatsoever. Look at Matthew 18. Similar story to this one, talking the idea about Jesus and the children. Matthew 18. So we're going to start right here in verse 1. It says in Matthew 18, verse 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself... As this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. I humble myself to be like a little child. You know, when we had our babies at home, I don't think there was any pride. I don't think the baby was thinking, I'm really hungry, but I don't want to cry because that makes me look like a baby. The baby just cried because that's what a baby does. See, as a spiritual adult, see, I I don't want to cry. I don't want to cry out to the Lord. Lord, I can handle this. I can take care of this as my life is utterly falling apart. And there's a pride that happens between me and Jesus because I'm not willing to humble myself as a little child to go out to the Lord. And then let's just go one step further. By golly, I can't humble myself in front of the body of Christ because I have to come into church and i got to smile and i got to make sure everybody knows everything is perfect. Because if I would humble myself in front of the church and say, pray for me, I'm struggling with this, then my goodness, I look weak. Well, the Bible says, I am a little child. I am an infant. I humble myself in that area. And the Bible says, I'm supposed to become that way. I'm supposed to be that child that says, I can't do this without the Lord. But yet, as I grow spiritually, I think I can handle it on my own. Lord, help us to go back to the beginning when we were just little spiritual infants that needed the Lord in all ways and all things. That's the truth. I don't know what you're battling or facing today. But be a baby about it. (laughs) I don't mean publicly. Be a baby. Cry out to the Lord. Lord, I can't do this. I need this. Don't be afraid to ask for prayer. Don't be afraid to ask for disencouragement. We are spiritual infants that need the Lord in every way and everything. And that's what God is trying to tell us is become like a child. Humble yourself. And as you humble yourself, verse 4, you become great. Because you realize in your humbleness, that's where strength actually comes from is by being humble to say that I can't do it. Now, with that as a stepping stone, the problem is when you're not humble, you think you can do it all on your own, which is a wonderful segue to our next story here. Keep that in the back of your mind as you go to verse 18 of Luke 18. Jesus says you're supposed to be like a little child, humble, a spiritual babe that cries out for the Lord, that everything you need comes from Him. Well, what happens when you're the other way? Look at verse 18 of Luke 18. Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Now let's just stop here for a second. Now we're introduced to a guy 
that has not humbled himself as a little child. As this story goes on, you're going to see that this guy has it all figured out. He's First off, he's a ruler. Context seems to say that he's a religious ruler. He comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher. Now that sounds good, and it is good. It's a term of respect, almost to that sense of master. But it doesn't mean that there's a devotion. He's not devoted to the teachings of Jesus. He's just acknowledging this man and respecting his position as a teacher. He wants to know what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. Now, Jesus says something really interesting here in verse 19. Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Years ago, I was talking to a guy that did not believe that Jesus was God. And this is the verse that he quoted to me. Saying, even Jesus himself right here seems to be deflecting it. Now, real quick. Any time you see Jesus ask a question in the Bible, he's never asking because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking it as a probing question. Always remember that. If Jesus asks a question, he's asking it as a probing question to get that person to think. If you remember when he was talking to the disciples one time, he went up to them and says, Who do men say that I am? And they went through all these different ideas. Then he finally said to the disciples, Who do you say that I am? He wanted them to think. So right here, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. The assumption is that he wanted this guy to say, but you are God. You are the Messiah. That's why I'm coming to you because you are God in the flesh and I'm seeking that. The guy didn't think that. See, this is the complete opposite of a humbled spiritual child. This is an adult that is great in his own mind and that knows all the answers. So what does he do in verse 20? Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. This guy's got it all figured out. He's a spiritual giant. I mean, look at this. I haven't killed anybody. I don't commit adultery. I'm not stealing. I'm not bearing false witness. I'm honoring my father and mother. I have this all figured out. It almost looks like my personal opinion, take it or leave it, in verse 18 where he says, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Don't you think he almost wants everybody to say, You? You're worried about inheriting eternal life? I mean, if anybody's got eternal life, you have to have eternal life. I mean, look how good you are. That's what he almost wants. He wants that pat on the back. He wants that attaboy. You don't have to worry about it. So he goes through and Jesus lists all these things. Verse 20, do this, 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 and this. Verse 21, I've done all these things. Now, isn't it interesting for you that remember your Ten Commandments, there's a few that Jesus left out. And one of the key ones that Jesus left out in verse 20 was, do not covet. Now look what happens. Verse 22, so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he had heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Now, before you think this is some type of works-based salvation, that this guy could get into heaven by selling all his goods, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying this one thing you lack, the spirit of covetousness, this greed that is keeping you from a relationship with me. So therefore, you need to be willing to let go of everything you have to be able to truly follow me. This is not, okay, if I sell enough stuff and I earn enough money, I can get into heaven. No. This was a spiritual issue that this man had to have addressed. And his spiritual issue was there was a covetousness, there was a greed. It was money for him. That's why Jesus specifically left out in verse 20, do not covet. That's why the guy could say in verse 21, I've done all these things from my youth. Jesus said, you still lack something. Here's the point, verse 22. All of us lack something. Problem is we don't see it. Why don't we see it? Because we do verse 20. I only focus on what I'm doing right. 
I don't focus on what I'm lacking because I'm so busy focusing on what I'm doing right that I have a tendency to not look at what I'm lacking and what I'm forgetting. And so when I go to the Lord, I go to the Lord on my own ideas of what I'm right with and what I'm wrong with. You know, we just did communion last Sunday. One of the things that we do before communion is there's that great verse where it says, examine yourself. So we always have this time of quiet prayer where we say, quiet your hearts before the Lord, quiet your mind here, and go to the Lord and say, what areas am I lacking in? Well, the last few times I've done communion, I've always gone to the Lord with the exact same three things. Because in my mind, those are the areas I'm lacking in. Now, I never meant to ask God what area I'm lacking in. To be quite honest, I don't know if I want to know what areas I'm lacking in, according to the Lord. I'd rather look at myself and say, this is the areas I'm good at, these are the areas I'm weak in. See, there's a really powerful verse, but it's really dangerous. It's Psalm 139, 23 and 24, which says, Search me, O God, see my heart, and see if there's any iniquity in it. It's a dangerous thing to go to the Lord and say, Lord, is there something in my life that I know is wrong and I'm not willing to deal with it? And I'm lacking in that area. See, Jesus loved this man enough to go to him and say, this is the area you're lacking in. This is the area that needs to be worked out. And guess what the man's response was? Verse 23, he was sorrowful. Because we don't want to work on those things that are weak. Don't tell me what I do wrong. Tell me what I do right. Can't we just go back and live in verse 20? I don't commit adultery. I don't murder. I don't steal. I don't bear false witness. I honor my father and mother. Everything I do is great, wonderful. But let's talk about the areas you're weak in. I don't want to. That's not as much fun. There's an area that's lacking that has to be addressed. And it's a loving thing to address it. Now, I ask you to go to Mark 10. Let's go there real quick. Mark 10, please. This is the same story, but just a little bit is added. I think it's important to look at. What areas are we lacking? Let's put this all together as you're going to Mark 10. Jesus says, I'm supposed to come as an infant, as a child, a childlike faith. I completely and utterly trust him. I am humble in that way because in my humbleness, I realize I have nothing, nothing. But when I get myself off that humbleness and I start thinking that I'm becoming a spiritual giant, I start doing things on my own. As I start doing things on my own, well, then I just realize the good I do and I don't realize the bad I do sometimes. And then instead of being humble, I look at myself as great And it takes us to the rich young ruler. He had areas that need to be worked out. And Jesus was willing to love him enough to do it. Look at Mark 10, verse 17. It says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. That's basically the same story, but look at verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Did you catch verse 21? Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that. Jesus corrected him in love. Jesus looked at him in love and said, I love you enough to point out the one area in your life you're lacking. Now, isn't that fascinating, spiritually speaking? If someone comes up to me, and they say it all right, they say all the right words, and they do it lovingly, and they point out some area that I'm lacking, what's my first flush of response? Don't you judge me. Don't you dare judge me. Who are you to say anything about my spiritual life? But Jesus loved this man enough to say, I'm going to look at you, I'm going to love you, and tell you this is an area that's lacking. Now, guys... Jesus wants to do the same thing to you today. 
He wants to look at you. He wants to love you and tell you the one area you're lacking in. Now, are you going to listen? I don't know. Do we listen? I know for me spiritually. I've shared with you before, anytime I teach, I either have to live the lesson before I teach it or I have to live the lesson after I teach it. I hate it when I have to live the lesson after I teach it. Because as I'm teaching it, and I'm thinking I haven't lived this yet, I know my next week is going to be awful. And I don't want to do it. So I had to live this one before. So that's why I can smile up here today, because I've already gone through this. I was talking to the Lord, and I said, okay, Lord, what am I lacking? What am I lacking? And I'm going to share with you what he shared with me. Can you go to Revelation 3, please? Revelation 3. This is what he shared with me. I'm not saying this is necessarily for you, but I just want to share with you what he, I think, what he told me. Revelation Actually, it's going to be Revelation 2, please. Because sometimes it's really difficult to see the areas we're lacking in because we have a tendency to look at the things that we're doing good. Revelation 2, verse 1. Revelation 2, verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Boy, that was me. I left my first love. Because what happened for me, this is the area I was lacking in, that I look at what I do spiritually and I must be okay. I mean, all week, that's all I do. You know, as soon as the Sunday message is done, guess what I start doing tomorrow? I start working on the Wednesday lesson. All week, someone's calling me up and saying, hey, what about this verse? What about that? I'm in the Bible all the time. I'm calling people all the time. I'm writing cards. I'm doing hospital visits. I'm verse 2. I know your works, your labor, your patience. That's me. I think I'm verse 3. I'm persevering, and I'm trying to stay true to the Lord. But why am I doing it? Well, I'm doing it because that's what I do. Well, why do you do it? Because I'm a pastor. That's what I do. Yeah, but verse 4, don't you do it because you just love me? Well, yeah, Lord, I love you, but listen, I also got these responsibilities. I lost my first love. That's the area I was lacking in. And that can, is what I'm trying to say is that's what can happen spiritually. You can look at yourself in the spiritual mirror of life, and you're good. I mean, you look real good. And that area that's lacking can be so difficult to see because the only thing you see is what you're doing right. How could I not love Jesus completely? Look at all the people I pray with and all the studies I do and all the verses I read. But am I doing that out of love? Or am I doing that out of job responsibilities? See, it's the same thing happened to the rich young ruler. Well, i got to be okay in the Lord. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not murdering anybody. I'm, I'm not stealing. I'm not defrauding. So busy seeing everything he's doing right, he didn't see the do not covet. What about you? What about me? What areas are we lacking in that the Lord is trying to reveal to us, but we're not willing to see because, let's be honest, I haven't humbled myself as a little child. I think I'm great. I'm a spiritual man. I can take care of myself. we got to be careful about those things. Jesus wants to look at us in love and say, listen, this area needs to be dealt with. And I love you enough to tell you. Now, what happens when God comes to us and says, this area needs to be dealt with? Well, if you're still in Revelation 2, you can do verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Fix it. 
See, sometimes I know people get frustrated with me because people will call me up, and I'm really not trying to be a jerk about this, I promise. They'll call me up and they'll say, listen, you know what? I really struggle with fill in the blank, with cussing. I, I don't want to cuss anymore. You know what my great spiritual response is? Well, don't. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Don't. Oh, you don't understand. I don't want to, I mean, it just, I, I, well, stop. Well, it's not that easy. And I'm like, well, do you cuss around your mom? No. Cuss around your dad? No. Well, then you have self-control. You can choose when you do it or don't do it. It's amazing sometimes how complicated we make a simple issue. I left my first love. I can sit here and analyze that. Or I could get in the Word. You know, I remember one time where I had a spiritual dry point in my spiritual life, and I thought, you know what I need? I've shared this story with you before. I need a new devotional. That's what I need. So I went to the Christian bookstore, and I walked up and down every aisle, looking at the devotional, spent a long time, found the perfect devotional, took it home, set it on my nightstand, and I think it's still there. Because it's not the devotional, it's the heart. See, you can list everything. Oh, you know, Lord, I have a heart of service. You call me at 3 a.m. and I'll get out of my bed and I'll serve anybody. Amen. I have a heart of worship. I have a heart of prayer. What about being in the Word? I don't need to worry about the Word. I have a heart of worship and service and prayer. What about the other side? I have a heart of Word. I'm in the Word. I'm in prayer. What about service? Oh, I don't need to worry about service because I'm too busy studying the Word. There's an area that we all lack in, and Jesus wants to come to us and look at us. I can't stress this to you enough. In love. And say, let's work on this. Now, do we do Revelation 2.5? of repent and go back to the first works and fix it? Or do we do Luke 18, where we just walk away sorrowful? Oh, woe is me. I'm never going to be a good husband. I'm never going to be a good father. I'll never get this figured out. And I'm just going to wallow in self-pity. Or are you going to say, Lord's right. I need strength. I need help. I need accountability. I need fellowship. I need that help, Lord. And as an infant, as a spiritual babe... I'm just going to cry out. I'm just going to cry out. I'm not going to be the independent toddler. I'm just going to cry out as a baby and say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. What are we going to do? Jump back to Luke 18. He's sorrowful. He really wished that the story would switch and this guy would change. It doesn't look like that. Verse 24. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This guy's sorrowful. In my personal opinion, when I look at verses 24 and 25, I think Jesus feels bad that he feels bad. And I think about that. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm saying this for myself. When Christ so clearly communicates the areas that I'm lacking in, and he so clearly communicates in love, James, this is what we need to work on. When I choose not to work on it through the power of the Holy Spirit, am I not breaking my Father's heart? Because I just don't want to change, Lord. And I'm the rich young ruler. I want to walk in my greatness. I don't want to walk in the humbleness of a spiritual baby. So Jesus, in verses 24 and 25, how difficult it is. Verse 26, those who heard it said, who then can be saved? And he said, these things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Aren't you glad that God is in the business of doing the impossible? Seriously, think back. For you that have been walking with the Lord for a while, let's say that you got saved when you were much older in life. Think back to how you are now. And this is not a edifying, glorifying how I am now. Just a realistic 
how you are now, how you live your life, think back to how you did 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Has not God done the impossible in your life? That's what He does. He fixes those things that the world deems unfixable. He changes those things that the world deems unchangeable. And it happens. I don't know how many times I'm talking to somebody and they'll mention something, and it's usually in a marriage relationship, or they'll say something to the fact of, my spouse will never change. He will never change. He'll never be that way. She'll never change. She'll never be that way. Now, depending on the relationship I have with the person and depending on the conversation is going, sometimes I interrupt them and say, now, how do you know that? And I don't mean this mean. I ask them, are you God? You're telling me that you know, you know for a fact that that person is never going to change. No, you're not God. Well, I just don't see it happening. Of course you don't because you're looking at it through fleshly mortal eyes. Not through the eyes of the all-changing Holy Spirit. With God, it's not impossible. And, and what's the stop here for a quick second? If you have something in your life, if you have a loved one that's not walking with the Lord, if you have a marriage falling apart, if you have a situation that's difficult, if you have a struggle and you've deemed in your head, it will never change. I love you. You're not God. You don't know that. Why are you deeming impossible what God says is still possible? Well, I just don't think it's going to happen. You're not God. Well, I just don't see it happening. You're not God. Put that on a sticky note and stick it on your fridge. You're not God. Remind yourself of that every day. Because, verse 27, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Verse 28, then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. Have you ever felt that way in verse 28? Have you ever felt that you have left all, you have made sacrifices, you have done everything? And let's just be honest, no one's seen it. No one sees the sacrifice, and to be kind of honest, it frustrates you a little bit. I mean, right now we're doing a teaching on that thing you lack and making changes, and in your mind you're thinking, okay, yes, there's areas I need to work on, but come on, I have made so many changes, I've made so many sacrifices, and just because it's not visible on the outside doesn't mean it's not happening. Amen. Now the question comes up, are you making those changes and sacrifices for the Lord Jesus who sees the heart, or are you doing it to get the pat on the back? See, if you're doing it to get the pat on the back, you've got the wrong focus. I struggle with that. I've joked at home before that Dawn will give a pat on the back about once every 10 years. That's about Dawn's limit. About once a decade, she'll say, good job. And I spend my life chasing down the pat on the back from Dawn, which I don't even know if it exists. I just I chase it. Where really I should be doing these things just out of my heart because it's the right thing to do. See, God sees and notices. Look at verse 29. He said to them, As surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. If you have made a sacrifice for the Lord, if you have let go of something and no one else has noticed, your Savior has noticed and He has taken note of that. He sees, he understands, and he honors that. Those private, quiet times where you have made a sacrifice that no one ever has seen. You kept your mouth shut when you sure wanted to open it. You let that bitterness and unforgiveness go when you wanted to hang on to it. You said no to that lust, that temptation, that sin, and you battled that privately, just you and the Lord and no one else saw. And you walked away victorious but no one saw the victory. God did. And He honors that and He sees that. Right now, some of you here this morning, you're making sacrifices left and right and no one sees it. God does. And He honors that. 
That's the thing about leaving all behind. Who are you leaving it behind for? If you're doing it for the attention of man, well then proclaim it, get your pat on the back and move on. If you're doing it for the Lord, sometimes it's just in quiet silence where you say, Lord, I will serve you, love you, and follow you no matter who sees or what sees. That's difficult. Let's talk about this giving up of things. Go to Mark 1, please. Mark 1. The Christian life is full of sacrifice. I remember when I first got saved, there was somebody that uh, was really instrumental in me going deeper in my walk with the Lord. And I remember going up to this person saying, there's a few areas in my life as you're going to Mark 1. And I remember telling them, I'm never going to get rid of this. And it wasn't like a woe was me. I was like an honest assessment of I'm I'm not going to get rid of this. I want to keep this. Yes, I love Jesus, but I'm going to keep this area of my old life. And I remember them saying, just give it a few months. Once you know about three, four months later, that thing showed no interest in me anymore. So now when someone comes up to me and says, you know, I want to be a Christian and stuff, but if I become a Christian, do I need to get rid of this? If I become a Christian, do I need to stop this? I always tell them, you know what, why don't you become a Christian and you'll see in a few months how little that stuff interests you anymore. You're willing to let it go. Now, I wish it was that simple for everything, you know, because I've been saved now, uh, it's going to be 20 years this fall. There's still things that I wish would just die but still a battle. But yet as you walk with the Lord, it's not that you feel like you have to give it up. You reach a point where, Lord, I want to get rid of this. I want to. Look at this. Mark 1, verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately called them, they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and the hired servants, and they went after him. Now that seems like some pretty unimportant passages, but analyze it here for a second. First off, you have brothers, Simon and Andrew, verse 16, fishermen, Jesus calls them, verse 17. Verse 18, they left their nets. That's huge. I mean, that's huge. How can you be a fisherman without a net? It's impossible. That phrase in verse 18, they immediately left their nets and followed him. They are leaving behind something. To follow Jesus. They're letting it go completely. When you come to know Christ, there's going to be nets that you need to leave behind. And that's going to be a struggle. Because what do nets do? They sure tangle you up. But you need to leave them behind through the power of the Lord. I don't know what your net is right now that you're battling. But I bet you it's trying to tangle you up. Leave it behind. What about the next one? Well, now you got James and John, another set of brothers. And you see Zebedee. So what does it say they do with Zebedee, their father? Verse 20, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat. So you leave your father behind. Now before you think, this means that you just quit talking to them. Zebedee's parents make an appearance later on, at least their mom does, if I remember correctly. And sometimes I think we have a tendency to do this as Christians. I first get saved, so any non-believer I see, I can't talk to them. I make the sign of the cross, I throw holy water on them, and I just run away. That's this mindset. And I've seen Christians get saved, or I don't want to be around them. Why not? Well, they're not saved. You weren't either 36 hours ago. I mean, but we have a tendency to do that. What this is saying is the sons of Zebedee leaving behind their father, is sometimes you have to leave behind influences of people that hinder you in your walk in relationship with Christ. 
And, and you've got to stop and you've got to look at the friends and family and, and people that you have a tendency to choose to spend time with. If they are not influencing you in a godly way for Christ, that is something where you may have to limit your influence. Do not go the route of the Christian that will not hang around any non-believers. That's the point of why we are here, is to be a light and a witness to an unsaved world. You have to be careful of the influence that non-believers may have on your life. And this is what we're talking about here. They knew for them to follow Jesus, they had to leave dad behind. They knew to follow Jesus, Simon and Andrew had to leave the nets behind. Now let's put this full circle. What do you need to leave behind? Is there a relationship you need to leave behind? Is there an item in your life right now that's bringing you down spiritually? Does that need to be left behind? Is there a love of something that needs to be let go of? Sometimes it's a love of personal time. It's my time. Maybe there's a selfishness of my time that needs to be left behind. What is the thing that you're lacking where Jesus wants to look at you in love and say, this is lacking and we need to work on this together? As it says in Psalms, search me and try my heart, O Lord. See if there's any iniquity in me and lead me to the way of everlasting. Is there something in your life that you know does not line up with the Lord that needs to be changed? Today is the day to change that through the Lord. You are a spiritual babe. You cry out for help. Do not try to walk. Do not on your own. Do not try to crawl on your own. Don't. Be the spiritual babe that clings to his father and cries when he needs help. You are never going to bother your heavenly father. Never going to bother. I can remember I got through a phase one time where I think I mentioned this earlier in the message. That I would give God the big things. But Lord, I can handle the little things myself. Boy, how silly was that? I don't want to bother God with the little things. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. You have a loving Heavenly Father that wants you to throw every problem you have at his feet and trust him to work through it. This is what I want to do here as we get ready to close up. I think it's important for us to stop at this time that you need to let go of what nets are...